So if you signed up for softball, uh, Brent Stanley bribed me with a milkshake today. If you signed up for, for softball to be on one of our teams, we're having batting practice today at 2 o'clock. It's behind Rodenberger Park. Right, or, or, behind Sunrise. Behind Sunrise. Like Kmart is over here, and you go across the street. Sunrise Park's there. Behind it, there's like a couple softball fields. That's where they're having batting practice. So you can show up and hit and then shag balls and do all that. So, yeah, good. Okay, do it. Good, good for you guys. What? Yeah, we, we, we haven't talked a lot about softball because our team's not doing as good as we did last season. But uh, we, were, we were in the playoffs, won the first game, lost the second. But if you guys want to reminisce about how good we used to be, you can go in the back of the lounge and there's like a trophy there. You'd be like, wow, remember the days three months ago when they were good. Uh, it'll be great. Uh, uh, CTV, if you guys came to that, the, the parent-child event that, that we did here, the second day we had you guys bring back-to-school supplies. Uh, to, to give to uh, some people who needed them. We actually got in contact with the Domestic Violence Solutions, and they got them to some, some parents who really needed them, and they're very thankful to you if you came and, and you brought those for them. So way to go. Good job. Uh, and as Denise talked about, the new to element party. It, seriously, if you guys uh, are new, feel like you haven't connected or want to connect or all that stuff, you guys should come to this. You should get to know some other people. Uh, there will be some deacons and elders from element there. You can ask us some questions and uh, hang out. Uh, hopefully, you're not offended by wine because usually there's wine at these things. And so um, every once in a while, something from Russia may make an appearance <laughs> when it's at my house. Uh, but anyway, it's, it's a great time for you to get to, to know uh, some other people, get to know some people at Element, and see kind of you know, what we're like. Don't take ourselves too seriously, but we take God very seriously. So there you go. Why don't you guys stand with me reading God's Word? It's Ephesians 6, 10, and 11. And it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Let's pray. Father, this morning I do ask that we as your people would understand how to live and walk in your strength so that we can take a stand. God, not a stand for ourselves or for our own morality or when we feel affronted, but a stand for you, that we would live for your name and trust you as our God and King. Amen. Have a seat. We are doing a a four-week series on spiritual warfare from a biblical point of view, a little bit of history, a little bit of truth, not some TV-influenced, voodoo-loving, holy water-throwing, seance-type thing. I get a lot of questions from people about, you know, demons and hell and Satan and all this stuff. So instead of doing a whole bunch of different stuff, I decided to throw it into a four-week series for you guys and call it Spiritual Warfare. Uh, We just spent a week looking, or a whole year last year, looking at John's view of Jesus and the truth and who Jesus is. So hopefully you have a good idea of what the truth is. If you miss that, you can uh, get them online at ourelement.org, download all 40 weeks, listen to it, come back next week, you'll be good to go. Anyway, so today we're also going to look at the truth and being level-headed rather than jumping on a whole bunch of bandwagons that make the truth of the gospel less effective. And again, I am speaking about this because many times people get their, their information about God or Jesus or demons or Satan from the Internet. It's not a good place to get information about stuff like that. Uh, I'm going to recap my last week. Last week in a nutshell, if you weren't here, uh, it is this. God is in control. He didn't set us down here on this planet with a wild beast named Satan to see how we would fare and as we run around and then he'd laugh at us as we wet our pants because we were scared of Satan. But, again, Satan is alive and well, uh, but he is defeated. He is a defeated enemy that has been defeated by Jesus. In order, against our, in order to stand against our enemy, we need to be a people of the truth. Many times our battle, our spiritual, this whole spiritual warfare battle comes down for a battle for your mind and your heart. 
We are people today who get told that we can do or be anything we want to do. If you just believe it enough or try hard enough, you can be this thing. It's not true. Okay? I hate to break it to you. Uh, everybody in this room, almost everybody in this room, you will never be a supermodel no matter how much you try. Okay? It's, it's just not going to happen. Sorry. Uh, the, half the people that try out for American Idol that we get to see on TV, they are never going to be able to sing. No matter how much they believe it, no matter how much their parents go, oh, you sing great, when they're all, and I will always love you. You know, you're just like, it's, it's just not happening. No matter how much they tell you, it's, it's just not going to happen. Uh, Sean Jones, the guy who leads music for us, he's never going to get lost in a crowd, okay? Because he's taller than everybody, it's, it's, it's not going to happen. Uh, no, matter, no matter how much I want to, I will never fight like Bruce Lee, okay? Even no matter how many movies I watch and video games I play, it's, it's just not happening. No matter how much I believe it and I want it to be true, it cannot ever happened. But we are told that it can if you just believe it enough. And that translates into our belief systems as well. We're told that we get to believe whatever we want. And if you believe it enough, well, then it can be true. But that's not true. That is not true. People's lives fall apart over and over and over. And we still try to come up with our own idea of how it's supposed to be and work rather than believing God. Find something that trying works for us. George Barna, actually, he writes this. He says, embracing relativism, that's believing whatever you want to believe, embracing relativism under the guise of Christian faith facilitates comfort with sin. By claiming the authority to determine right from wrong, we crown ourselves the king and queens of reality. Yet we have no such authority, and we constantly pay the price for the arrogance of believing and acting like we are in control of our destiny and experience. What an affront it is to God for us to claim his name and protection, but to resist his moral truths on the basis of human feelings. Now, I, I quote this because many times the truth that we are supposed to be a people of, a people of the truth, the truth about the truth gets skewed because we look at the truth for our, through our experience and our feelings. Temptation will always be at the door to change the truth that God has revealed into something more convenient, or if you're Al Gore, inconvenient, however that works. You know, we, you know, we convince ourselves many times that something that is wrong is actually right. It's actually going to be okay. You go to a store and you get too much change. You know, and you, and you know, you, you're like, oh, I got extra change. This is, and you walk out the door, and, and your thoughts are not, I want to go back and give this back. Well, maybe you got a little bit of that, but then you start thinking, but how are they ever going to learn how to count change correctly unless I take this change? You know, they need to get written up, so then they will know, and they will never do this again. I need to help them by, by keeping this extra money. You know, maybe, maybe you're at a job, and you have somebody at your work that likes to flirt a lot. And, you know, you're like, well, but I'm not the one that's flirting. I'm just standing here listening. They're talking. I'm just talking back. They're the one that started it. It wasn't me. And you rationalize standing there maybe flirting when you shouldn't actually do that. Uh, maybe you're surfing the Internet. And it's like, oh, just click on that. Read it for the ads. I just read for the ads. Maybe you're in a grocery store and you, and you walk up and, and, you, and you're looking at the, the light beer and the full-bodied ales that God intends. And you're thinking, oh, <laughs> But it's better for my figure. Uh, and it's not. It's all bad for your figure. But, you know, and, and, yeah. Th- this week, on Tuesday, I was at Home Depot. And, I, and I, we're, my wife and I are moving to this other house, doing some renovations and stuff. And so I'm, I'm in there grabbing some stuff. I go back out to my car. And I didn't really notice, because I don't pay attention to a whole lot. People like me should not have big trucks, because I don't notice anything. Uh, but anyway, so someone parked their cart uh, and just left it there. Put your carts away. So I parked their cart in front of my truck. And so I go to back out and I go on. I'm looking like this because I don't look in front of me because I'm backing up. So I'm backing up and I take this cart and I shove it into the car next to me. Yeah, that's how I felt. I was like, <gasps> and so I get out and, and I'm thinking, oh, and what my first thought is? Run away! <laughs> 
No one saw it. No one knows. I'll just drive off and everything will be okay and no one will know. And then my second thought is, no. I need to, in my mind, I start doing all the gymnastics, though, of, well, uh, it's, it's Home Depot's fault. They left the cart out there. There should be someone to put these carts away. Uh, you know, th- th- this guy shouldn't park so close to me. You know, something to get myself out of it. I get out of the car. I write a note. I said, hey, no one's around, and so I can't find you, but here's my phone number. We'll take care of it. So he called me this week, and, and we're taking care of it and stuff. But, I mean, y- your first thing is always to change what, what is wrong and maybe make it right. And we do this uh, in our lives all of the times. And simply, sometimes we do this with God by trying to make God in our own image. Because when things get hard, we think, well, our way is better because God calls me to this. And yet this thing seems so much easier. And we change the truth that God has revealed into something else. We twist it. You know, in Christianity, sometimes when things get hard, we begin to try and say that there's demons behind every single door. That everything is opposition from the enemy. Everything is a roadblock. Sometimes, I will tell you, God puts roadblocks in your life because he wants you to grow up and mature. He wants to discipline us. This whole idea of spiritual warfare and and Satan and demons and all this, I will tell you, in in my life, I have encountered a demon one time that I'm sure of. One time. And, you know, I I, I don't think it's only because they're afraid of me, okay, because I don't think that's the case at all, okay, but one time. You see these cartoons like an angel on one shoulder and a demon on the other shoulder? That's not how it goes. That's not how it goes. As we looked at last week, the devil is real and he does tempt. But we should not give him so much power to think that he is all-powerful. But we also must not underestimate his craftiness where he gets you to think that he is more or less than he is. Now, open to Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul speaks to Christians, those who believe Christ with their lives. And Paul launches into a how-to section of protecting and fighting in this whole idea of spiritual warfare. Because again, our fight is in the spiritual realm as well as the physical realm. And if Satan doesn't interact with you physically, I believe sometimes he has access to your mind. He can't read it, he cannot control it, but he can influence it. He whispers things. You see this in Scripture. You see it in Luke uh, 22, 1 through 5. And you see how when Judas betrays Jesus, Satan is whispering. In Acts 5, 3, and 4, Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira, they lie to Peter. And this is because of prompting some whispering from the enemy. In First Chronicles 21, 1, King David takes a census that God told him not to do because of these promptings and these listenings. That's why Paul says in Ephesians six thirteen, he says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. Again, spiritual warfare comes down most times for a battle of your heart and your mind where you need to trust God, where you believe the things he said and you trust the things that he said. People say, well, why does God give us a mind and a heart anyway if it makes it so hard for us to to follow him? So we can be aware, so we can love with conviction, so we can serve as he intends, and so we can fight and not give in. Paul, in Ephesians, he wants you to know that, that angels and fallen angels, demons, are real. And they'll, you know, they're not physical in a sense like you're physical, but they are real as your flesh and bones. They are beings whose intellect exceeds that of any man. Charles Spurgeon writes this. He says, We must not expect that a man unaided from above should ever be a match for an angel, especially an angel whose intellect has been sharpened by malice. Now, this is, this is like if you have a knife and you want it sharp, you take a sharpening stone, or if you have money, you buy one of the ones that do it for you. But if you have a stone, you're old-fashioned, you spit on it, and you do this, and you take the knife back and forth, and you make that edge nice and sharp, back and forth and back. You're, you're honing the edge. It, it's kind of like, uh, in a very real sense, when, when you're born, you know, you can't walk. You just kind of lay there and poop and eat, and that, that's all you do. And then when you hit about 8 to 12 months old, you start walking, and you, and you start like this, and then you let go, and you're like, 
drunken sailor, right? You're, you do the drunken sailor walk. And then as you get older and older and older, you learn how to walk. Like none of you came in and tripped on your face when you walked in here, right? You're, you all did good, found a chair, sat down. You can stand up and walk anywhere you need to walk, right? See, because you're pro. You're pro. Nobody walks like a drunken sailor anymore because you've had time to hone your craft of walking. Unless you are a drunken sailor, then you probably do walk like a drunken sailor. The same thing in regard to Satan and his hordes. They have had thousands of years to hone their craft of temptation. And that temptation makes you think that he is more or less than he is. Randy Alcorn writes this. He says, They live in a spiritual world where there's a certain clarity of thought even among the fallen. Their modus operandi is to twist, deceive, and mislead, but they're intimately familiar with the truth they twist. See, you and I must also be a people who are familiar with the truth. Because the biggest agents out there that, gets, that spread misinformation about Satan or demons or Jesus or God and this whole spiritual war is us. Is us. And Christianity many times will look dumb because we buy into some lie without ever checking into the truth of what God has revealed. Now, this happens today as well, but in the 70s and 80s, in this whole idea of spiritual warfare, you know, there's this huge mass of people on what's called the church circuit. And they'd go place to place telling how they were transformed by the gospel from a Satanist high priest into a Christian. And everybody bought into these things. This guy's name was John Todd. Okay, John Todd says he's a courier for the Satanic Ruling Council. He's a member of the Illuminati. Apparently, whatever that is, all kinds of Satanists are members of the Illuminati. Okay. Whatever. Okay. Uh, it says that the exorcist and Rosemary's baby that we talked about last week, those are just the tip of the iceberg. He says there's a cartel of policemen, politicians, and pastors who are in on the satanic agenda. And so churches would bring this guy in. And people, he would talk to people, people would be like, oh, wow, oh, my goodness. And he would say that he made dozens of payoffs to prominent people and Christian leaders. He says no organization, including the church, is immune. And he goes, and you would not believe who I just made a payoff to last week. And everyone's like, well, who would that be? Would that be that guy on the, on the TBN or the WB? You know, who is it? And then John Todd says, Pastor Chuck Smith. Now, if you don't know who Chuck Smith is, Chuck Smith is the guy who founded the Calvary Chapel movement. Okay? And he says, Chuck Smith is a, is a secret Satanist. And through Maranatha music, he's influencing young minds with lyrics masking subliminal satanic messages. Now, I have lots of things to say about Maranatha music, but I do not think it's satanic. Okay? <laughs> I don't, you know. John Todd says, I know firsthand. He says he was there. He says he delivered $8 million to Chuck Smith himself. He says Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Chuck Smith did it for $8 million. Now, if you fast forward to today, John Todd is in prison. He's a convicted felon. He's a carn artist and a rapist. And what has Chuck Smith been doing for this time? Reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see? What did it serve the cause of Christ for Christians to go and blindly listen to and believe this guy? It didn't. It didn't. Christianity looked dumb because people bought a lie without checking into the truth. This guy's name was Mike Warnke. Mike Warnke wrote a book called The Satan Seller. He talks about how he was an ex-Satanist high priest, right, in a church of 1,500 members, and he was also a member of the Illuminati. Way to go. Okay, whatever. Black masses and orgies and animal sacrifices, and people questioned him on this, and Christians actually said, stop being so skeptic. It turns out Mike Warnke made it all up. Makes it all up. And Christianity looked dumb because people bought the lie without checking into a truth. Now, uh, Lauren Stafford, she's a lady and she wrote a book called Satan's Underground. This is one of the key sources that people use to promote the idea of satanic ritual abuse. It says she was an adult survivor. She has these repressed memories, horrendous stuff, pornography, as I said, you know, ritual abuse, torture, rape, infanticide. Turns out Lauren Stafford is this troubled teen who spent most of her life making a whole lot of stuff up. She died in 2002, but before she died, she changed her name to Lauren Garbowski, and she claimed to be a Jewish Holocaust survivor. 
And all the things that she said Satanists did to her, she now says the Nazi doctors did to her. See, there, there are other stories that get perpetuated all throughout. Even today, the Internet is not a good place to check your facts, people. Okay, just, just letting you know that. Don't forward me stuff. Uh, you got this thing, Darwin's deathbed convert. Oh, when Darwin was dying on his deathbed, he became a Christian. It's not true. Okay, that's a fabrication. Uh, people say, well, let's boycott Procter & Gamble because they have satanic ties and they have a, a satanic thing in their logo. It's not true. And yet Christians continually buy into these lies because they love to jump on these bandwagons. A few years ago, people argued for the truth from Bible codes. Oh, there are secret codes in the Bible and we've got to argue for the truth from, from these codes. But if you were looking at the Bible for these codes, who are you not looking at? You're not looking at Jesus. And you're called to look at Christ, the truth, even at few weeks ago, we had one of these guys come up. It was just funny. Anyway, uh, a, a few years ago, you had this thing where they circulated these stories about in Siberia. These, they drilled this hole that was like miles deep, and they put a mic down inside, and they heard screaming and yelling. They said, look, hell is in the center of the earth. Go figure. I mean, and, and it gets circulated, and people pass it to everybody else as, as if it's true. I mean, there's an endless variety of resurrection stories from other countries that nobody can actually find out or check into. It goes all the way to people... Christians saying, oh, well, J.K. Rowling, the one who writes the Harry Potter book, she's a, she's a Satanist. She's not. She's a member of the Anglican Church in England. Now, I have a friend who's English, and she says, it's the same thing. But, you know, it's... <laughs> but you got every world religion, from uh, every, every world leader, from Reagan to Gorbachev to Tony Blair, Saddam Hussein to Barack Obama, they're the Antichrist. They're not. They're not. And when you start spreading that stuff, Christianity looks dumb because you buy into a lie without checking into the truth. I mean, who does it really help when people who call themselves believers run around buying into and spreading this stuff? It's not Jesus. It doesn't help the cause of Christ. When these things happen, we spend way too much time focusing on the enemy and not on our king. That's why I always tell you about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I got one drum I beat, and, and it is Jesus. People come in here, and they go, what are you about? And I go, Jesus. And they go, what else? And I go, I don't got anything else. And, you know, <laughs> try Roquet down the street. You know, I, I just got Jesus. That, that, that's all I tell you about. But our culture loves to jump on bandwagons that, that are, we, we, we love it. Uh, a few years ago, NBC did these planned explosions of GMC trucks, and they did a report, oh, look, trucks, and everybody's freaking out. Oh, yeah, look, the trucks are exploding. Oh, my goodness, what's going on with that? You know, and, and everybody thinks that trucks, your GMC truck's going to blow up. My GMC truck has not blown up yet. Everything else has gone bad on it, but it has not blown up yet. Uh, do you know uh, that there, there are 30,000 scientists who have signed, over 30,000 actually, uh, have signed a petition, sent to our government, and said you cannot be telling people that global warming is a fact because it has not been proven. Now, I am not saying, you know, don't go green or anything. You know, I'm saying you should recycle. God has made us stewards of this planet. We should not rape and pillage this planet. You know, we, we should take care of what God has given us. But this whole green agenda is getting out of control because, and there, because there are no solid facts behind it. There's a whole lot of speculation, and we got, ought to be careful that we don't jump on a bandwagon like this. Um, they're genetically engineered foods. Here, here's my little soapbox. Genetically engineered food. Do you know that, that we could solve most of the world's hunger problem with genetically engineered food? And you know the, the only side effect of genetically engineered food is? You grow more, cheaper. Wow. We can grow it in places that you cannot normally grow food, and yet people freak out about genetically engineered food. And say, oh, we're all going to turn into zombies, which I'm sure some gamers will be really happy about, unless they turn, <laughs> unless they turn into a zombie, then it'd just be terrible. But I mean, there, there are these things, and we, and we just get afraid because we hear this stuff that's out here. You know, Oliver Stone sometimes makes these movies and he twists the truth, the history in them just a little bit. And Oliver Stone said this: even if I'm wrong, I'm still right. 
because he got to make the movie. Now, you and I should all be a people who say twisting the truth is wrong. No matter in, in culture or especially with scripture, right? Yes? Good. You know, and if it's wrong in culture, it's got to be infinitely more wrong for people who say they know the truth personally. In Ephesians 6, 13, and 14, hope you still got your finger there. You're like, oh, crap. I put it. Ephesians 6, 13, and 14. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The first thing Paul talks about to combat in the spiritual warfare is truth. Truth. We need to calm down, not buy into all the weirdness that's out there that's you know, perpetuated on the radio or by nut jobs on TV and simply believe in Jesus. The word truth is the word aletheia. It means unconcealed, conforming to reality, meaning it's not imagined. It means genuine. You know, ladies, if you have a guy that, that comes up and he, and he wants to marry you, and he goes, I got you a ring. It's cubic zirconium. You know, it's, it looks just like a diamond. And you as a lady goes, that's not the real thing. Well, you should. Make him work for you, okay? Be like, that's not the real thing. I want a real... There's a difference between genuine and fake. What is real and what is not. Uh, In John 7, 28, Jesus says, Jesus, still teaching the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own, but he who sent me is true. He who sent me is genuine. He is not a fake. He is real. You see this again in Revelation 6, 10. It is used of God to show that God fulfills the meaning of his name. You see other places that, that he is very God. He is the only God. First Timothy 1, 16 and 17 says, uh, Now to the king, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This also goes into First Thessalonians chapter 5, where God is true because he is the only God and he is genuine and he is the one we must follow and base our life upon his truth. In John 18, 37, 38, says, Jesus answered when talking to Pilate, You are right in saying, I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world, to testify to the truth, to what is right, to what is true, that which is genuine and not fake. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. Pilate stands toe-to-toe, and he misses the reality of the genuine truth presented to him. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And like... Like Pilate, many people today stand toe-to-toe with Jesus and they do not follow his truth. Maybe they don't recognize it or maybe they don't want to recognize it because many times we see ourselves and our own view of the truth as more important than God's view of the truth. It says, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Truth around your waist. The waist is, this is a metaphor, okay? Your waist is your center, so truth is central, if you put on an outfit, ladies, and you put a belt on, right? Belt ties everything together. It's like I got my shoes and my hat and my belt, right? Okay, okay, guys, it's like Batman, okay? He, Batman puts on his utility belt after he gets all ready. You're like, that's Batman, right? Okay, that's all that. It ties everything together. It's like an outfit. It's the last thing you put on, but it's, Paul says it's the first thing on the list. As a soldier, you go into battle without your belt. Your armor falls off. It crumples, and you're standing on the battlefield naked, which is not good. Unless you're Celts, because Celts actually like to go into battle naked, apparently. Uh, now, I personally, I don't understand gangbangers with baggy pants and no belt. Because, you know, if you've got to run away, you're not getting far when your pants go down around your ankles. It's like, <laughs> get a belt, you'd be a better gangbanger. That's, that, that's all. See, I even help gangbangers. That's, that's my job. <laughs> Dropping the truth brings danger. 
The moment we drop our belt of truth, our reality becomes skewed. We become susceptible to the John Todds and the Mike Warnkeys and the Bob Larsons and the crazies on TBN and anyone else who claims to speak for God but doesn't really speak for God. Our center is to be the truth. Our center is to be Jesus Christ, not the sensational and not the superstitious. If we ever think we have an answer apart from Jesus and his work, we think we have it all figured out because of our experience, we are in danger. If you drop the belt of truth, three things are going to happen. The first thing is this. I talked about your armor is going to crumple. It's going to fall apart. The rest of the armor of God consists, uh, consists of righteousness, the gospel, salvation, peace, the word of God. And if you have no truth, none of that's going to make sense to you. You have to be people who live in the truth. You ever wake up in a stupor, like your alarm goes off at some, like the power went off, and all of a sudden your alarm's like, midnight, and it's like four in the morning, you're like, ah! And you wake up, and everybody sounds like Charlie Brown's parents, wonk, 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 wonk. That's, that's what it's like. Your armor crumples. Um, a few years ago, I broke my foot, and I had to go to the hospital, and I'm sick. I get sick with everything. So I, I can't take, like, Vicodin or codeine. I just throw it up. So they give me a shot of Demerol. Wow. wow. Okay? <laughs> You, go to, you want some dimmer off, you go to the house. That's crazy stuff. And so I'm just like, Tom Holmquist like drove me home. And, and I'm like, hi, Tom. You know, and, and, I'll, and I look down, and I swear there are flies on my leg. And I'm like trying to kill these gnats. And I'm, he pushed me around his wheelchair, and I'm like, oh, oh. I have a point. Okay. This, is, this is what it's like when the truth is not central to who you are. Nothing makes sense. Your re- the second thing happens is your reality gets clouded, like you're on Demerol. You know, things that you think are true are not true. You know, drug addicts, drug addicts are crazy because I'm not addicted while they're trying to steal your stuff. They're crazy. You know, at, at night, if you're somebody who drives with glasses and you, and you leave your glasses at home and you got to drive home and you don't know, oh, is that a is that a kid or a person on a bike or is that a pole or a light? What is that? I, you don't know because everything is clouded because you can't see correctly. If you do not have the truth, your armor crumples, reality gets clouded, and your worldview becomes your worldview. Your worldview becomes unreal. See, that's the whole idea with that. You're, everything about your world around you becomes all based upon you and what you think truth is. God takes a back seat to you. It's like that stupid bumper sticker that says, God's my co-pilot. Well, if that's true, you're in the wrong seat. You need to move over. Okay? <laughs> God gives you leeway in a lot of stuff. I didn't think it was that funny, but okay. God gives you leeway in a whole lot of stuff. You know, dancing or not, vegetarian or not, drinking or not. But he does not allow us to make up our own truth because he is the answer. Truth, like all the armor that Paul speaks about, is an aspect of the nature of who God is. To put on truth is to put on Christ. Christianity is not true because it works. It is not true because it feels right. It is not true because it's my truth. It is true because it is anchored in the person of Christ. Os Guinness writes this. He says, The Christian faith is not true because it works. It works because it is true. It is not true because we experience it. We experience it ingloriously because it is true. It is not simply true for us. It is true for any you seek in order to find because truth is true even if nobody believes it and falsehood is false even if everybody believes it. That is why the truth does not yield to opinion, fashion, numbers, office, or sincerity. It is simply true and that is the end of it. And that is the end of it. I I believe that Satan is probably very pleased when ministers or Hollywood portray him as different than he is. 
in Lord Falgren's letters, this book I told you about last week, you know, it's this metaphor of like an older demon talking to a younger demon. And this is what the older demon says. Make sure his view, that's yours and mine, make sure his view of us stems from skepticism, denial, ignorance, superstition, legend, literature, spiritism, popular culture, or any combination thereof. Let it come from anything and everything but the forbidden book. And that would be scripture in case you were wondering what that was. Favorite Bible, open to Colossians chapter 2. See, we are to be a people who are grounded in Christ, a people who are grounded in Scripture, the truth that God has revealed. Colossians 2, 17 through 19 says this, And these are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. The reality is found in Christ. Satan loves us skewed and clouded and unreal because he doesn't have to worry about us at that point. When our life is simply about us and not about the truth that Christ has revealed, we become ineffective in the spiritual battle that he calls us into. Satan, as I said, he is real, but he has less power than you think, but he is smarter than you can imagine. If you fight him, will be determined by you. How you fight him has been determined by God. In the next couple of weeks, Eric will come and talk about the armor. James is going to talk about some of your weapons. But we need to be a people who live in truth and be a people that he actually has to worry about because you live in truth. See, you are in a unique position as a child of God. John 17, 17, Jesus prays for us and he says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. You are people who get to know the truth. You get to have it revealed to you in your hands. I told you this before, that, that I hate legalists teaching the Bible because they don't talk about God. They talk about us. They not, it's not about uh, God's grace, but it's about our duties. They don't talk about what Jesus did. They talk about what we should do. Not about the Holy Spirit. It's about all the rules. And they ruin it for everybody because it's like Christianity without the God and all the rules and none of the grace and all the obligation and none of the Holy Spirit. And the worst are liberals who take it and they say, throw everything out. You know, we're going to be culturally hip and relevant and cool. And they both miss the point. The point is the truth revealed to you in Scripture. The key is knowing your Bible well. Then you can talk to whoever you need to talk to. You have a rudder and a compass, and you have wisdom and discernment, and you're going to be all right because truth is central to you as a person. You know, this, this is not speculation. This is revelation. God has revealed himself to us. Colossians 2.8, if you have your finger in the book of Colossians, Colossians 2.8 says this, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on what? Christ. Rather than on Christ. People who get you to look at everything else, which is exactly what Satan's modus operandi is, get you to look at anything else other than Jesus. Your eyes, as people of the truth, are supposed to focus on who Christ is, because it is all about Jesus, all of it. He is to be central to you as a believer. Central. Now, the band's going to come up, and they're going to do a couple songs. And as they do these songs, I want you guys to take a second where you're at, and I want you to pray, God, where has my view gotten clouded? Where where do I think that my truth is more important than your truth when these things come into conflict with each other? How do I, as a person, learn how to live and walk in the truth that you have revealed? How do I live in such a way that I trust you and that you are central to everything that I do?
So the band could do that. Uh, there'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer, if that's something that's very hard for you and you need someone to help you out, you know, and talk to them, ask them questions, you can talk to them. They'll be at the back of the hallway. They'd love to pray with you. They'd love to talk with you. Um, we're going to worship God through giving. There's an offering box on the side wall and in the very back, and we give simply because God gave so much to us. Uh, we worship God through fellowship where you as a people get to know each other and spur one another on to live and walk in this truth. And we're also going to worship God through communion. And when you feel called and ready, you come and take communion. Communion is, is the place where we remember the truth of Christ, that Jesus died, that he rose for you and I to bring us back into relationship with God. I mean, that this is truth right here, that we are a people who are lost and alone, and we need Christ and his goodness and forgiveness to bring us to the people we are supposed to be, that Christ is to be central to who we are as a people. And when he is central, we can then live our lives with, like I said, a rudder and a compass, and we can live in truth outside of these walls. Because it's much more important, again, how you live out there than how you live in here. People need to know the truth, and we need to be people of the truth. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we would understand what it means to live and be a people of your truth. God, sometimes uh, we do. We get clouded. We get... Uh, unreal. We, we don't notice sometimes the things that you place directly in front of us because our eyes are not upon where you're leading us. They're on ourselves. And so this morning, God, refocus us. Teach us to be a people that live with you as our center.